Hello and welcome again to The Future Of. Today we're going to be talking about the future of tech investing with Annika Lewis. Uh, Annika, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Okay. So we should probably get started by introducing you. Everyone knows who I am. I'm pretty famous already. <laughs> so um, let's get into it. You are a VC uh, with Van Edge Capital. That's, That's right. Yeah. Okay. How did you become that? And um, maybe tell us what you do now from day to day. Go ahead. Sure. So at Vantage, I am part of the investment team looking at investing in early stage technology companies. We are a venture fund based here in Vancouver with about 300 million Canadian under management. And we invest a lot in analytics companies, AI companies, and you know broader industries than that as well. But that's a big area of focus right now. Uh, in terms of my background, uh, my, my road into BC is, is a long and winding one. So most of my background is in financial services. So I started my career straight out of school with Capital One based in Toronto. And having studied finance and math in school, I started in a very quantitative role. So really more on kind of the data and analytics side, doing things like A-B testing and credit modeling in the credit card space. After four years uh, at Capital One in Toronto, uh, you know, had a variety of roles there, all the way from, as I said, data analysis into more of product management and product strategy type roles. I decided to take an opportunity down in New York City with Capital One, which is where I got into a corporate strategy role. And from there, I ended up learning a lot about the innovation space and the startup world because that was a big area of focus for the division at the time. And I just fell in love with the startup world, meeting with founders, understanding what was going on in innovation, broadly speaking, and thought, okay, this venture thing's pretty cool. I think this is what I want to do. So I worked closely with Capital One's venture arm, looking at startup investments and acquisitions in the commercial banking space. And then when I moved back home to Vancouver about a year ago now, uh, spent some time with, with a startup and then ultimately decided that VC was where I wanted to land, hence why I joined Vantage. Well, that was probably the most fulsome introduction you, po you possibly could have given. And um, I am overwhelmed and uh, <laughs> very happy because I couldn't possibly have done uh, as good a job. Now, one thing I should mention, um, listeners, you're not going to be able to know this, but uh, Annika and I can't actually look at each other because our microphones are facing different directions and we're in a very, very cramped space. So <laughs> it's going to be a bit of an odd thing where we can't really see each other's facial expressions. Well, I can kind of look at you, which creates an interesting dynamic. <laughs> oh, there, there you go. There Surprise. You go. So I'm flying blind here. Um, hopefully that doesn't throw things off, too off the rails. Uh, I, I found uh, part of your, um, your sort of your origin story quite interesting in that you know, you, you seemed um, very interested in innovation um, and how it's how it's created, and we'll we'll get into uh, the you know really the future of tech investing in in a second. But I, I wanted to just touch on that for for a second because that's that interest in innovation is is something that I share. Like uh, I I'm not a, a technologist. I'm not a coder. Uh, I don't think you are either. Oh, I've dabbled, but oh. no, I'm not a coder by trade. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, very interesting. We, we come at it from, um, you know, sort of a place of admiration of, of, of innovation and, and seeing where 
it uh, it's exciting and, and can lead to very cool things for society or for yourself if you just really really like your smartphone or whatever it is you're using. Um, so let's let's get get into um, one question I, I wanted to explore. Uh, you know, sort of actually, but before we get into the future, let's talk about the present. Uh, can you define uh, for the audience? What is the difference between, say, VC investing and uh, other other types of investing someone could uh, a company could do into the into the tech sector? Um, this is something that uh, I didn't it kind of kind of embarrassingly. I, I was uh, writing about tech as a journalist for years before I bothered to look up the difference. So maybe you could uh, provide that helpful description. Sure, yeah, it's often not clear to a lot of people, so let me do my best to to lay it out as cleanly as I can. So, in terms of investing, there's broadly the public markets and the private markets. So, public is any company that is publicly listed, you know, your NYSE, your TSX, anything that you could go out yourself and and, and buy a stock. And that's where a lot of mutual funds play, you know, financial advisors, things like that, primarily is in the public markets. Then private investing, there's sort of a whole whole slew of different types. Um, I would say the, the major two would be private equity and venture capital. Private equity tends to be a little bit more later stage, so more towards when companies are closer to going public and, and are more established. And venture capital, the way I describe it to my friends and family that are, are not in the finance industry is, I say it's just like Shark Tank or Dragon's Den at the simplest level. So venture capitalists are generally investing in relatively unproven ideas, early stage technologies, things that have a high rate of failure, but also a high potential rate of return if they really do make it and take off. Could you maybe give me an example between, say, a, a company that a VC company would invest in or, or has invested in, maybe Vantage, uh, if, if you can talk about that, uh, versus a company that you would just say, no, this is not our thing. We don't do that. Yeah, so to keep it really simple, let's let's look at the journey of Uber. So Uber in the early days, people thought it was a crazy idea. Like ride sharing, you're going to get into some stranger's car, there's some technology that's going to connect you to these drivers. It was all a very novel idea that people didn't really understand. So at that point, Uber needed venture capitalists to really believe in it, fund it, and allow the company to grow. Now that Uber is you know, pretty much ubiquitous in almost every city except for Vancouver, um, it's well understood. And so the public markets are able to effectively sort of price and, and, and you know, play as, as funders to, to that technology, whereas you know, 10 years ago that was not the case. That's terrific. Um, so now that we understand what venture capital is and what a venture capitalist does, where is the uh, where is the money going in the future? Where, where what are the big uh, what are the leading edge technologies? What are the cool companies or types of companies that uh, venture capital is interested in? Or I suppose uh, outside of uh, VC, what where where is the money going to? Yeah, so I think the overwhelming majority of interest in the last few years and also probably looking ahead to at least the next few years and beyond is artificial intelligence and machine learning. And part of me hates to say that because everybody's saying that, but it really is like like we're sitting in the year 2000 and I'm saying, hey, this internet thing is going to be really big. Because it is. Um, you know, they're, they're proven technologies. Uh, you know, data is the new oil. 
it, there's just so much that can be done through detailed analytics and and kind of you know better predictive modeling. But you know it's it's obvious that the movement is going to happen in the space. The big question for investors at this point is where is that going to happen? There are so many companies these days that are slapping .ai on their domain names or calling themselves a machine learning company, but there isn't really any burden of proof required to do that. So it's up to investors to figure out where the applications are going to end up panning out, what companies are really the real deal, and and be able to kind of you know see through the the mist that is all of these um, you know tons of AI and ML companies today. Okay, so that's where some of the money is going right now and into the future. Is uh, well, well, you mentioned AI. Um, so how would you be able to distinguish between, say, the company of the future and just the company that's um, not going to make it? Um, because there are so many companies. Uh, blockchain is, is is a good example, but let, let's let's <laughs> let's keep this focused on on AI. Um, what would you even look for? Because, uh, to my understanding. Uh, these technologies are so new, so unproven. Um, you know, just getting the technology working, much less figuring out how it's going to get used, is a is such a tricky thing. Investors need some kind of reliable data with which to make a, make a bet. So, how is this? Uh, how is the how is the decision making going to um, evolve uh, as as these I, I, I suppose uh, you know as AI for instance matures? Yeah, that's a great question. And as, as I said before, you know we are in these super super early days, and yet when you look at the companies that are out there and what they're claiming to be able to do, you know a lot of them we're, we're probably not quite there yet in terms of being able to see the the fully realized use case actually play out today. So what I'm looking at and what I'm interested in as, as someone with, with kind of a data and a math background is, you know, what is the data advantage that this company is looking to obtain? And is it is it differentiated? Are they Do they have access to some data that somebody else doesn't have? And will they be able to scale that access up themselves? Two is, have they done all of the ugly, unsexy work of data cleansing and data pipeline management and data engineering? and you know, having worked at, at a large company that then managed, you know, very complex data at scale, these things are really, really not easy. And so as an investor, you really need to dig into kind of the early unsexy stuff and understand what's really going on under the hood. And then from there, be able to figure out, okay, is this a thing that could generate a 10x plus return? Is the team, you know, capable of doing this this complex of, of analysis and technology building? And yeah, it's, uh, as I said, very early days, and you need to go into any of these assessments with a healthy degree of skepticism. I, I wanted to uh, just focus in on that 10x return phrase you mentioned. That, mm -hmm. that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think for people who are not necessarily investment savvy in general and might know, uh, but you know, generally have, have, an, have an understanding of the tech sector as a place that's experimental and, and you never know quite what you're going to wind up with. How does that work out? This, this um, you have to get, you, you want to get 10x um, on, on one of your bets. Um, and, and I suppose the, the idea with VC is, you, you know, you're, you're diversifying your risk and, and um, you know, if you get a couple of wins that makes up for all your losses and more. Um, I, 
how would you like to comment on sort of uh, risk evaluation in, in, in betting on, on tech? Yeah, that's exactly it. Let, let me compare again to the public markets because I think that's uh, something that a lot of people can, can understand and have experience with. So if you think about you know, your RSP or your retirement fund uh, or any sort of you know, mutual fund you have, it's probably very diversified in a number of relatively safe stocks that you, know, you hope on aggregate will go up X percent over time. Some of them won't do so well. Some of them will do pretty well. Overall, if you get yourself you know, a, a good, healthy 10% return on equity every year, you're doing pretty well. Venture is more about looking for potential home runs with every bet. So with every company we assess, we're looking at, could this company grow you know, 10x, 20x into a billion dollar company? All of those words that you always hear said, but it's really because we're looking at you know, generating, you know, maybe one of those companies uh, in, you know, in, in 10 companies that you invest in, the, the typical sort of rule of thumb in VC or how many people explain it is, you know, out of 10 companies, eight fail, one does okay, and then one makes you, makes you your whole fund. Um, so venture is really more about kind of those, those power laws and looking for those home runs. When we think about something that's, you know, more around uh, the, the medium return um, type of opportunity, that is not necessarily something that venture lends itself to as well. Okay, so speaking of home runs, um, what do you think, or, or you know, based on your analysis as a VC, or maybe even just what you've been reading in, in the newspaper, in the Wall Street Journal, or I, I don't actually know what you read, um, but what, uh, where, yeah, where are the home runs of, of the future in, in tech? Yeah, I mean, in the future, you know, I, I already talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning as a space that definitely will have many of those home runs, but it, it also will have a lot of flops inevitably. One area that's getting a lot of attention recently and has actually um, generated some of the, the recent home runs in, in the IPO market is a business model called product-led growth that's getting a lot of attention. And basically what that means is companies that are able to sell into businesses but really with a focus on the end user. So it's almost like a blending of B2B and B2C. And before I go too much more into I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> so, okay, Slack. So before I go any, any deeper on theory, let's talk about Slack. So Slack is a company that has go, you know, garnered a ton of B2B enterprise revenue, you know, massive corporations adopting it and, and just has taken off since, um, you know, since its IPO and since well before that. Slack got into big companies not through selling by, you know, knocking on the chief information officer's door and, and trying to sell a big contract, but got in through creating real end user value. So, you know, me, say, it, sitting in, in, on my desk in a Fortune 500 company, uh, I, I like Slack because I use it to message with my friends. I would like to use it to message with my coworkers. I start using it. Susie starts using it. Then Paul says, hey, I want to get in on that discussion. Let's talk. And then all of a sudden, everyone's using Slack, and the chief information officer is saying, oh man, all these guys are using Slack and we're paying X dollars a license. How do we save money on that? And that is really sort of the, the, the model behind product-led growth, is you create something that has massive end user slash consumer value, if you will, and then through that, garner this enterprise adoption. Um, and that's a way, you know, Slack has managed to have greater than 100% net revenue retention. Companies like Zoom, Twilio, there's just it, it, there's an explosion of them these days, and I think it's a really fascinating shift in the way that enterprise and, and business sales are done. That's really interesting. Um, I'm wondering, you know, we, we've covered different 
types of potential home runs for tech investing in the future, but what are the big flops of the future? What are the foul <laughs> balls? Um, where, where should the money not be going? Well, we talked about blockchain a little bit earlier, and it's interesting. You know, blockchain had sort of its its heyday back a couple years ago when when Bitcoin went well above ten thousand dollars, and everyone was super bullish on it. Then we had the crash, and now there's a little bit of a resurgence. But for me, blockchain is an area where I still tr struggle to see and to find problem-led uh, companies. You know, I I feel like most most opportunities I see right now are you know blockchain as a service this and you know, distributed ledger that, but it's not totally clear what underlying pain point is being solved for that couldn't necessarily be solved for off the blockchain. So, so don't don't get me wrong. I, I think the blockchain is a fascinating technology. I think in terms of, you know, immutability and as a data storage platform, it's it's very interesting. But to date, I have struggled to see any adoption that is, is generating real user value. Um, I hope that changes, but until it does, I, I do worry about the blockchain sector. So that reminds me, that actually takes me back to, I think, our very first conversation, which was not all that long ago, but um, I think I thanked you sincerely for saying uh, something to that effect about <laughs> blockchain, just because I felt like I was in a weird, um, I, I don't know, like a Twilight Zone episode or, or something where... I just can't see what everybody else sees, and either my brain is lacking a certain module, or maybe, you know, or, or this is almost like a, a kind of religion where people are very, uh, it, it's almost like a, a faith-based uh, um, opinion about this technology that, uh, like, I, I just, I just don't understand. Uh, where the uh, w where the business case is for it, and this is, you know, uh, again, I, I you know, I, I've I've been a, a tech journalist, and and I, I I've written about blockchain. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I've probably written five or six articles for uh, for for news outlets or clients related to blockchain, and I still don't fully get it. Um, so this is, you know, generally I, I'm, I'm a fan of innovation, but, uh, and, and there's also a, a side of me that says, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a technologist, I, I, there are going to be things, there are going to be deep gaps in my knowledge where someone could exp try to explain it to me 20 times, and I just will not get it, even if it is going to be amazingly successful, so... Thank you for uh, giving that reality check. And uh, although, you know, we could both be wrong. Yeah, maybe in 10 years, everyone will come back and say, hey, you guys are totally wrong. Blockchain's taken off. And hey, I'll be happy if that happens. Mm. Um, so actually, are, would you be able to give a, um, uh, I, I mean, you alluded to this, uh, sort of a, a devil's advocate uh, play of, of blockchain of, this would have to happen, and this would have to happen, and, and this would have to happen, and if these things happened, blockchain could be the next big thing. Are, are, are you sort of, uh, would you be able to, to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not a blockchain expert, but at a high level, I can, I can give you my take. Hmm. So, yeah, as I said, kind of point one is a real problem needs to be solved that it makes sense to solve on the blockchain, right? And so 
Personally, I don't view at this point currency as a huge problem that needs to be solved using that technology. I think there's phenomenal work going on in the fintech space beyond blockchain that will solve a lot of the current pain points that the folks have around money and money management. Areas where I do see potential application for the blockchain, if they are done well, are around things like identity management. You know, it, it is a pain today to have your, you know, your 10 different cards and your health card and your insurance card and all of these things uh, not, and, and even your passport, say not even in one centralized place that is is safe and is a good gatekeeper for all of that information. Given the distributed ledger nature and you know immutability of the blockchain as a technology, potentially, but you would have to imagine for that to take off, all of the you know policy and governmental implications and there's just so much that needs to go right and so many things that need to to line up and get on board so i think ultimately it needs to be sort of a a state or, or government driven uh you know initiative and for that reason uh you know it's it's tricky to to get all the parties uh, and all the stars aligned well that's fair enough i you know a, another area of innovation where you would have to see a major swing in government uh, regulation policy is in the energy sector. I don't know if Vantage has uh, any investments in, in, say, I don't know, renewable energy or clean tech or, uh, but I, I'm thinking um, beyond that, nuclear. How come, <laughs> how come, you know, this is a technology that actually uh, Canada used to be a leader in. We used to sell Kandu uh, reactors uh, to, I think it was India. And, uh, you know, that was, that used to be the big idea of, of the future was, you know, the atomic age is coming. We're going to power everything with nuclear power. We can get rid of basically all air pollution. And we can, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have basically unlimited energy. And I, I look at that compared to all of the startups in renewables and in solar and wind power and wave power, which don't seem to be delivering what they were supposed to be delivering. I mean, China can build 10,000 solar panel uh, farms, I suppose, but you know, at, at some point, I, I would think you get diminishing returns. Anyways, my, I guess the point I'm getting to is, um, is are, are there interesting um, developments in, or, or, or there, are there good bets in technology investing in the energy sector? Where, where do you see that going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I was thinking actually the other day about the clean tech bubble back in the early 2000s. You know, there was this massive bubble of investment. I, I'm going to say this wrong, but it was something like four or five billion dollars in one year that went entirely into clean tech, primarily in the United States. Uh, but really, you know, expectations were super high. Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth had just come out, and we were go all going to save the planet through all of these amazing energy startups. And unfortunately, it all totally flopped. I think. There were a couple of things that were going against it in terms of timing. You know, it was right before the Great Recession and people were starting to pull back. Uh, I think some of the technologies just frankly weren't quite there to the extent that they were promised to be there. And that sucks. It's like clean tech is an awesome sector. And to the extent that we can, you know, generate great returns and save the planet at the same time, um, it's, a, it's, it's a great business to be in. And I continue to see clean tech companies today in, in, my, in my scanning of the market that I feel like you know, could be massive hits. And so I think clean tech is having a little bit of a resurgence. I think it should. I think the question is, is the technology there yet? Is the timing right now? 
and obviously it'll look different for for companies in all types of you know industries. There are some clean tech companies that rely heavily on very developed IoT devices. There are some that are more you know requiring much more complex hardware. Uh, so I am generally bullish on the clean tech sector in the very long term, but as I said, it is there are all sorts of different types of companies, and each one needs to be assessed kind of individually on a case by case basis. That is very interesting to hear. I gotta say, and and the reason I'm I'm sounding, I don't know, is it overwhelmed, underwhelmed? It's it's just uh, there's so much. Uh, uh, I, I guess political uh, rhetoric around uh, around clean tech that you know if only the political will was there or if only the corporate will was there uh, we could solve these problems today the technology is there and um, so and and what I'm hearing you say is uh, well in some cases there may be some good bets but in a lot of cases the technology is as yet unproven and you know, simply by throwing a ton of resources at it, whether whether that's taxpayer dollars or investment, um, it's not actually clear that there would be, um, you know, certain uh, companies that you would want to bet on to, say, save the planet and save humanity. I, I think, so yes, generally, but I think there are some cases where the likely returns would already outweigh kind of the, the technological challenges. And I'll give you an example. There's a company that um, I was helping out a little bit where they are trying to basically help builders build homes in a much more energy efficient way. And really it's a win-win-win for everyone because the builders are able to build these homes more cheaply. The consumer is able to get a more durable home that you know produce, requires less energy to maintain the same level of heat and electricity uh, and, and effectively pays a lower rate. And, you know, obviously for the planet, um, you know, there's there's just less emissions coming from that. So I think companies like that, where if they can get adoption in the builder space, uh, there's, there's great potential, even with the technology that's already out there. Um, but I think the challenge is a lot of these types of technologies require very complex distribution to massively fragmented groups that are kind of all over, that are still very analog and hard to reach through your traditional digital channels. Uh, so, yeah, those are some of the challenges I see, but I think there are definitely pockets and definitely companies to be to be found kind of un under the rug that, that are already solving problems in a way that is profitable. Well, what's, what's the moral of the story for the future of tech investing? Is, is there uh, some last bit of wisdom that you would give to, I don't know, your fellow VCs or uh, the, the retail investor who's looking to uh, throw some money at tech? Investing is going to change. Uh, public and private markets are going to increasingly merge and become a little bit more blurred. And overall, uh, I'm excited for the future. Okay. Well, on that note, there there is one last uh, question that I had for you, and that is, um, let's say uh, someone wanted to become the next Annika Lewis. Uh, and and get into VC and and be you know in charge of betting on the future of technology or the future of well all, all kinds of investment. What would they do? What would you got any advice for any aspiring uh, tech VCs? Sure, uh, I would say the preconditions for uh, 
for someone that that's looking for a role like mine would be to be abundantly curious, to absolutely love learning, love talking to people, uh, and to be tremendously self-motivated. I think those are those are things that are important. Um, so I think if you are interested in that, I would suggest finding a job that allows you to be a generalist and to look into a lot of different areas, whether that's working at a startup and being able to see what's going on in in the early stage company side, whether that's being a management consultant and getting uh, you know exposure to a variety of industries there, just getting as diverse of an experience, both personally and professionally, as possible. Okay. Annika Lewis, it has been a pleasure. Uh, Annika, again, is a VC at Vantage Capital. And do you have a public profile that you're interested in sending people to, or? Sure, you can find me at Annika Says on Twitter, A-N-N-I-K-A Says. Perfect. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the future of tech investing. Thank you very much.